Today on Abounding Grace from Joshua Taylor. As believers, we're called to be leaders in our world. We're called to be leaders for those who have yet to believe. When their lives are going out of control, when they feel hopeless, when they feel burdened, when they feel broken, we're called to be the ones who bring hope. We're called to, one, to be the ones who bring that bigger or greater perspective of life, that there is something more than what you're experiencing in the moment. There is a Savior who died for you. There is a Jesus who loves you, who wants to have relationship with you, who wants to rescue you from the situation. That's what we're called to do. We're called to have a greater perspective. This is amazing grace. Hey, do you remember playing the game Follow the Leader as a child? You'll have the leader at the head of the line and with all the children lined up behind him or her. And the leader then moves around and everyone has to mimic the leader's actions. Fail to do so? Uh Uh-oh, you're out. Well, today on Abounding Grace, we're going to see what it takes to be the sort of leader God wants us to be, as well as what it looks like to follow a leader. This is part of our new series, Into Faith We Go. And Pastor Ed, here in part two, we're going to be handing the mic over to your son, Joshua. I think it would be fitting if you'd introduce him to our listeners, since they might not be familiar with him. Well, Larry, that's that's great. I, I love how you give me the privilege to introduce my son, Joshua. You know, I've known him for a long time, and I've had the privilege to see him grow up. Not only grow up as the young, godly man that he is today, but also grow up in faith, and I love my son, Josh. Uh, it's such a privilege to serve alongside of them, of him here. He is in many ways so much smarter, so much wiser uh, than I am in many ways. I, I love what he adds to the ministry. I love partnering with him. And I am especially encouraged to share the pulpit with him on this series. And he is going to be sharing on the topic of following the leader and, and I know for a fact uh, that he is a very good follower. And, and, you know, just so you know, listening in, Pastor Josh, being my son, uh, primarily growing up in the ministry, has a unique uh, place of learning to follow. So he speaks from a very unique place, because in his life, uh, I'm his dad, I'm his pastor, and I'm also the one that is responsible for his position. Like, I guess, not being able to use a different phrase, I'm his boss. And so he has a unique challenge in, in his walk with the Lord to follow, and to follow the leader, not only in the human realm, but more importantly in the spiritual realm. So I'm just so proud of him. I know that God is using him. I'm grateful to serve alongside of him. He's one of the many uh, young, strong pastors that serve alongside of us here. So Put on your seatbelts and let's go. I, I remember listening. Just one more thing, Larry. I remember listening to this message because uh, I was teaching at another church. So I was I listened to it as soon as it was posted. And I'm telling you, the Lord used His Word to stir my soul and encourage me and strengthen me. And I know that will happen to those of you listening now. Thanks, Pastor Ed. 
So with that, let's turn to 1 Samuel 14 and get right to the message. Sometimes I've taught in the past, I've filled in for my dad in the past, but this weekend we're in the middle of our vision series for 2020. So Pastor Ed started with Into Faith We Go last week, which is the title of our vision series. And then he asked me to come alongside and teach part two. And the part two message will be titled Follow the Leader. Uh, so I get to present part two of our vision series. And the reason for this is because as we jump into 2020, I believe, and I know my dad believes, I know the staff believes, and I hope you believe that 2020 is going to be filled with opportunities for our church. Uh, not just individually, because there's always opportunities for us to grow individually in our walks with the Lord, but corporately as a church, I do believe the Lord has some great plans for us. I do believe the Lord is not done with us. We just celebrated 20 years as a church a few weeks ago, and I believe the Lord has many more years ahead of us of ministry happening, not just in our city, but our state, our region, our nation, and to the uttermost parts of the world. So as we jump into 2020, we wanted to deliver this concept and help bring it home because if we don't understand how to follow the leader, whether it's God or our own pastor, Pastor Ed, we'll miss out on the blessings that come with seeing vision executed by the Lord. And my heart for us today is that none of us miss out on the blessings of seeing vision come to pass, especially when it's God's vision for our church. One of the culture statements that we have here at Calvary and uh, Calvary Axiom, you can call it, number three is we follow the leader. Uh, we choose to submit ourselves to the Lord and what the Lord desires for us as a church body. Not again, just individually as we all should as believers, but also as a church. And a part of that is the Lord has given us a spiritual leader here, a local leader for our local church. And I've already mentioned it's our pastor, Pastor Ed. Uh, he moved our family out. I get to say our family because I'm a son, but he moved our family out from California 20 years ago with a desire to bring the gospel to Aurora, the desire to bring the gospel to the city. And the Lord through 20 years has blessed us and blessed us as a congregation, not only to do that for our city and our region, but also send missionaries out throughout the whole world. On top of that, we have Grace FM and many, many other things. But before I get ahead of myself, I just want to give you guys kind of a brief intro to the message today. Uh, we're going to be looking at two things. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at Jonathan. I think Jonathan gives us two characteristics that most godly leaders have. And then we're going to look at his armor bearer, who shows us really the best example of what it looks like to follow the leader. And we're going to really hone in on the armor bearer today. So I came home the other day. I've been renovating my house, so I'm living with my parents, and I came back to the house, and on the TV was a show that was pretty popular a few years ago, and one that me and my family used to watch because we were always looking for ideas and tactics to help raise a sibling of mine. Uh, this show was, I'll give you the premise, and then I'll give you the name. Most of you will know it. The idea is you bring a nanny from England with a really cool accent to come to your house and help you raise your troubled child. And she has all these cool tips and tricks and mats and naughty corners and things that she presents to you. And the show is called Super Nanny. Well, Super Nanny was on and she was coming to the rescue for this family. And I'm going to change the name of the little guy because I don't want to put him under the rug because I've never met him. But his name was Tommy. And Tommy was a two-year-old. For those of you who had two-year-olds, you understand that two-year-olds are also known as being in the season of terrible twos. Well, Tommy was no different from any other two-year-old. This kid was going crazy on the show. And his dad was legitimately afraid to bring him out in public. 
So the nanny decides to send them father-son time to the medicine store to go pick up some medicine. They didn't tell me if it was a Walgreens or anything like that. But I'm watching. I'm interested. I'm walking in the door, you know, seeing a screaming child on the TV kind of grabs your attention. You're watching, and he starts off really well. Like, the car ride's going great, but as soon as the dad stopped, put the car in park, immediately Tommy just starts yelling, no, 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 And it just continues to go where the nanny's like, well, you got to pick him up. You got to carry him. Go walk him outside. Tommy gets outside. He drops on the floor. Like, he is just flailing. Like, I've never seen this before except at Disneyland at the end of the day. And Tommy was doing this right in the middle of the street. So the dad's trying everything, you know, doing the one-arm grab, like carrying him through the store. And the nanny's like, no, you just got to lift him up. And you got to show him. And, and, you know, it just reminded me, like, I get to teach this message on Sunday, and he's giving me a great example. Tommy was showing us how not to follow the leader. Like, he was just giving that blatant example. And I know for us, there are things in our lives where we don't want to do something, We're given a task or we're given an opportunity and we feel like Tommy. Now, I hope, and I know most of us don't, and I hope you don't, scream and cry across the sidewalk and stamp and get yelled and like just causing a ruckus in the store. However, I think in our hearts, we do that a lot. In our minds, we do that a lot. In the innermost thoughts, we do that a lot. We wrestle with the things that are presented before us because we refuse to surrender. Like little Tommy. We just learn how to hide it a little bit better. Well, it's important for us as a church, as we get ready for 2020, as we look to the things God wants to do, the opportunities he's set before us, it's important for us to understand this concept so that we're not like Tommy. Because after the commercial break, Tommy gets ice cream because he calmed down. And little did Tommy know that the sooner he calmed down, the sooner he would get ice cream. The reward for being a decent little child with his dad. His mom was waiting to take him to the ice cream store. And I think for us, the sooner we realize how to follow, the sooner we realize the benefits of following, the quicker we get to the reward. And for us as believers, the reward is enjoying the blessings and promises of God in our lives. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, as we jump into it, before we read, I want to give you a recap. But as a church in 2020, into faith we go. It's not into faith I go. It's not into faith you go. It's into faith we go. We do it as a team. We do it together. We accomplish what the Lord desires from our church community, in this community, in our state, in our region, in our nation, together. We're not doing this as solo individuals, but the Lord has called us to serve Him together. And as we jump into faith, I think it's really key that when we're faced with things that are difficult, when we're faced with those solutions or those problems or those things where our leader or we are led or being led into a situation that doesn't look very fun to us, the key to get through that is faith. The key to say yes to that is faith. The key is I trust, I surrender in order to see the benefits of what you're telling me. And in 1 Samuel 14, we're going to see what that looks like between Jonathan and his armor bearer. As you turn there, We're going to read from verses 1 through 15. I want to give you a summary of chapter 13. I want to give you some context and some background on what is going on during this season so that we might better understand what's happening in chapter 14. Chapter 13 opens up with Saul being newly anointed as king. He's been ruling for a few years. He decides that he wants to gather his army together. 
the army of Israel to fight the Philistines. And for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you know the Philistines were often a thorn in Israel's side. They were often used by God to judge Israel. Uh, they would send raiding parties. They would attack. They would just, they would oppress the Israelite nation. Well, Saul decides to gather men together, about 3,000, and he sends 1,000 with his son Jonathan, and he keeps 2,000 for himself. 1,000 and Jonathan, so 1,001, men of Israel defeat the Philistines in Gibeah, it tells us in chapter 13. They have a victory. From that victory, it spurs on in Israel this excitement and this ready to do battle with the great Philistines to finally win. However, for the Philistines, they were frustrated. They were upset. They were mad. And what it tells us is that Philistines gathered 6,000 horsemen, more warriors than grains of sand, and also thousands of chariots. They come ready for war. As you can imagine, if you are a king or a prince with 3,000 men, seeing this army of thousands will worry you deeply. On top of that, Saul was told to wait seven days for the prophet of Israel, Samuel, to come and offer a sacrifice to God before going to battle with the Philistines. Saul waited seven days, and Samuel didn't come on time, or at least at the time that Saul thought he was coming on the seventh day. So Saul decided, very logically, I can't go to battle without making sure the Lord's a part of this. So he decides to offer the burnt offering without Samuel the prophet. It says in chapter 13, when Saul finished presenting the offering, that Samuel arrived. Like it was in unison in the same verse. As soon as Saul finishes, Samuel shows up. And Samuel asks Saul, why did you do this? Why did you disobey the commandment of God? Why didn't you, and I'll add this in there, follow the leader? And because of this, Saul was given a consequence, and it was that his dynasty would end with him. It began with him and it would end with him. For the Lord has picked someone else, someone after his own heart. And that one, that man that you may be familiar with, would later be known as King David. To add a little more context to the situation, chapter 13 tells us that of the 3,000 men that they had for war, 600 remained with Saul. Now you have an army with a king who is not necessarily in a good light with the Lord. The prophet has left him. He's just found out that he will no longer after him. There won't be a dynasty with his family as it was normal for the kings of the day to have their sons take over. And you have a very tiny army versus a very large army. It looks like 100% failure is ahead. On top of that, it gives us even more detail in chapter 13 that the Israelites didn't have a blacksmith in Israel. All the blacksmiths were in Philistine. And the only reason that Israel could go to these blacksmiths was to get their farming equipment sharpened. No one in Israel except for King Saul and his son Jonathan had weapons for war, had a sword or a spear. Only King Saul and Jonathan. I say all this to set up what we're about to read in chapter 14 because this is a dire circumstance. This is something that looks as an automatic 100% loss for Israel, loss for Saul, loss for Jonathan, loss for the people of God. You have a small army, ill-equipped, without the blessing of God, facing an army that is frustrated and upset that this nation that they've held under their own power for so long is now deciding to rebel. And now we get to open up in chapter 14, starting with verse 1. Pick up with me. It says, 
Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But he and the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. In verse 4, between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sine. The front of one faced northward opposite of Michmash, this is where the Philistine army was gathered, and the other southward opposite of Gibeah. And in verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said in verse 8, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, Wait till we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus to us, Come up to us, and we, uh, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand. And this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Pause real quick. In chapter 13, there's a whole verse dedicated to where all the Israelite men hid. They hid in holes, they hid in caves, they hid in rocks, they hid in thickets. They hid everywhere that they could hide. So the Philistines are mocking them in verse 11. Pick up in verse 12. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. And there was a trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it was a very great trembling." If you were to continue reading on in chapter 14, what happens is a great earthquake continues. There's infighting amongst the people of the Philistines. Israel rallies together, and Israel is victorious with the hand of God. And that's always the outcome when God's involved in a plan. That's always the outcome when God's involved in what you could describe this as a secret mission for Jonathan, having this idea or this thought. And the first thing I want to point out is Jonathan. There's two things that godly leaders typically have in common. And, and Jonathan has this, or shows this, these two characteristics in verse 6. If you would look at it with me, it says, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Godly leaders, and as we're called as believers to be leaders in our world, godly leaders tend to have a bigger perspective of a situation or a greater perspective of a situation. For Jonathan, he sees what we just talked about, the summary of chapter 13. He's very aware of the problem that faces Israel. However, he's not afraid, and he's not cowardly, like he's not hiding, he's not 
under the pressure of the situation. Instead, he looks at it and says, I wonder what could happen if God decided to use us today. I wonder what might happen in this situation if God was involved. And he looks at this situation and he kind of broadens his perspective. And for us, as believers, we're called to be leaders in our world. We're called to be leaders for those who have yet to believe. When their lives are going out of control, when they feel hopeless, when they feel burdened, when they feel broken, we're called to be the ones who bring hope. We're called to, one, to be the ones who bring that bigger or greater perspective of life, that there is something more than what you're experiencing in the moment. There is a Savior who died for you. There is a Jesus who loves you, who wants to have relationship with you, who wants to rescue you from the situation. That's what we're called to do. We're called to have a greater perspective. And as a church, we're also called to have a greater perspective to help lead our community. Uh, I think since I've had the pleasure of being here for the last 20 years, I've seen a lot that the Lord has done through this church. And one of those examples is Grace FM, which I now have the blessing of overseeing. And Grace FM was a big step of faith, as I know it's been mentioned before in our church from Pastor Ed. But there was this thought or this idea that what if we could present the gospel 24-7, like on a regular basis? What if we could make sure that when we're not gathering, when you and I are sleeping, the gospel's still going out to those who are awake? And it was pretty expensive. Like, it was a big number to get into the radio world, to take this area, this opportunity. And when my dad presented it to the church, there was some excitement and there was also some pushback. And that pushback looked like people who were very upset and very angry with this idea of using the funds of God to do this project. Because I mean, who listens to radio? No one listens to radio. Actually, a lot of people do. But it's going out of you know, style. This was 10 years ago. It's not, it's not going to be around because XM radio is taking over. You know, satellites are coming in and we're like, you know, we know this is what could be. However, the Lord's put it on our heart as a church to pursue this opportunity. And so we kept doing it and people ended up leaving the church very upset that this was the direction we're going. I can tell you now having the opportunity to, to oversee it, the testimonies and the feedback, the people getting saved from that station just in the last few years is overwhelming in a good way. The Lord is using Grace FM to reach lives when we can't physically do it all the time. In fact, and I was just thinking about this this morning, one of your pastors on staff here at the church because of Grace FM came to the church and got saved. And now he's a staff pastor. Like, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's amen. Praise the Lord. The Lord is using these steps of faith that he calls us to as a church to accomplish his goal, which is to win people to himself, for people to get saved and join us in heaven. Our goal, as you know, our, our mission statement, our, our vision is always win, disciple, send. You, we want to win people to Jesus. We want to disciple them in Jesus, and we want to send them out for Jesus. And that'll never change. And the, the things that we do are for that goal so that people might know Jesus and be with us in heaven. Godly leaders tend to have a perspective that spans beyond some. And I always want to be a person who's a part of what God is doing. I always want to be a person who's supporting what God is about. I do personally feel bad for the faces I remember. I don't remember their names, but I remember their faces. For the ones who left the church upset. Because although, and I'm not saying they're not saved or anything like that, 
but they're missing out on the blessings of knowing I was a part of what the Lord was doing through that radio station, which is what we get to do. And when we take part of what's going on here in our local church, when we take hold of the vision that has been given to our pastor to go forward for the gospel with the Lord. Jonathan here is showing us that he had a greater perspective. You're listening to Pastor Ed's son, Joshua Taylor, here on Abounding Grace. We're in a series we've titled, Into Faith We Go, and you can hear it through our website or app. You'll find us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or download the app when you search for Calvary Aurora. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of A Love Letter Life by Jeremy and Audrey Broloff. In it, they share insights from their own journey toward marriage and encourage the reader to stop settling for convenient relationships. They offer perspective on male and female differences in dating and take on topics like purity, give some rules for fighting well, as well as some advice on how to pursue a love story that won't end. That's A Love Letter Life. Yours today for a gift of $25 or more. Call 877-30-GRACE and we'll rush a copy your way. Your generosity helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us to make that possible. Call 877-30-GRACE. Tomorrow, Joshua Taylor will go on to look at Jonathan's armor bearer and point out what it looks like to follow the leader. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.